0: This is the Indie Drills Podcast, and I'm your host, Chad Wilson. I'm also the owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of 101 DB Tips. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about any and everything having to do with defensive back play. From technique to current events, we'll cover it all just like the guys in the back half blanket the wide receivers. I have over 20 years playing and coaching and training in this game, and I'm ready to use all of that experience to bring you the best experience in the Indie Drills Podcast. So let's go. Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, pick up your copy of the 101 DB Tips eBook. It's the ultimate reference guide for defensive back play. If you're a player, a coach, or a trainer of defensive backs, then this is something you absolutely have to have in your library. I discuss everything in this book from playing man-to-man coverage, to zone coverage, to how to train, to how to improve your footwork, your eye discipline, and body control. Literally everything pertaining to defensive back is covered in this book. Over 20 years of playing, coaching, and training defensive backs has gone into the making of this ebook, and I'm proud to say that it has helped players and coaches from the Little Leagues all the way to the college level. Make a point to check this book out now. If you're serious about being the best at what you do, make that purchase. You can find the book by going to 101dbtips.com. That's 101dbtips.com. Welcome to the Indie Drills Podcast. I'm Chad Wilson, owner of All Eyes, DB Camp, and author of 101 DB Tips. Happy to be back here with you after taking a week off last week. We're back at it again. Very happy to be here. And uh, this is, hey, it's a DB podcast. We're talking about defensive back play. Not a whole lot of podcasts out here like This one, so uh, I'm happy to bring this here to you and talk to you about what's going on in that secondary. You know, I started this podcast because I just felt like we weren't getting enough love back there, and there just isn't much. There isn't enough instruction um, from a platform like this in terms of podcasts. So um, this is a great thing for you guys to have, especially if you, you it's the summertime, you're going on a cross country trip or you're driving. You know, I've I've had those times in my life where I've done a lot of driving. Uh, I had a couple of kids go to the University of Florida. I'm driving down from South Florida, and that five-hour trip, I'm looking for something to listen to. Man, it would have been great to have an Indie Drills podcast for me to listen to while my wife nodded off, and I did the driving. It would have been nice to have something like this to listen to. So whatever you're doing, and You're listening to this right now. greatly appreciate it. If you have the time and you haven't done it already, if this is your first time here, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to, whether that's Spotify or Anchor um, or formerly Anchor, which is now Podcasters for Anchor, Apple Podcasts, um, Amazon, whatever platform you're listening to. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on a next one like this. If you're trying to follow me on social media, you want to hit me up on Instagram. It's at Camp. Greatly appreciate all of the follows and um, folks that are checking me out over there. If you want to follow 101DB Tips, you can do so on Twitter, dbtips101, at dbtips101. And, of course, I'm on TikTok as well, 101 dB tips. So I'm all over the place. You guys can find me, and um, you know, talking about all kind of defensive back stuff. And that's of course what we're going to talk about here on the Indie Drills podcast today. The big thing, the big main topic here today is the key mental elements of press. You know, there's a lot of stuff that people talk about. There's a lot of training going on, and people talking about the footwork and where your hands need to be and where your eyes need to be. All of the physical elements that are needed to Um, succeed when you are playing press man coverage. And of course, those are uh, definitely key things that you need to focus on when you are preparing for and uh, training to play press man coverage. But what's lost in all this and what is a bigger, I feel, Element to your press man coverage is the mental parts of it. Okay, there's a big mental part of this game and being on the island and playing press man that has to be addressed, and I'm going to do that in this episode today. But before we get into all that good stuff, let's talk about what's in the news. And if you've been anywhere in the defensive back world, you've been on any part of social media, it's kind of taken over Instagram, but especially on Twitter. Asante Samuel Sr., Asante Samuel Sr., Back at it again. All right, here's a guy that's been making his case, um, making his own case for the Hall of Fame. And we'll talk about whether or not he's worthy of that coming right up. But he's def—he has an axe to grind with the Hall of Fame and with the league. Um, you know, I think last week he was going in on Bill Belichick, and he has a dislike for Bill Belichick. You know, a lot of that stems from the fact that Bill Belichick didn't want to pay Asante Samuel after he had several really good seasons for the uh, New England Patriots. You know what, man? That was just par for the course with Bill Parse uh, with Bill uh, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick. Uh, he was just the kind of guy that really believed in his system and what he did, and he could plug and play guys in there. And he had the motto of, better to let a guy go a couple years too early than, you know, a year or two too late. So Asante Samuel's not the only guy that performed for the Patriots and was let go seemingly in his prime. But Asante Samuel is definitely the one that has taken the most offense to it. He's gone on several tirades about Bill Belichick. But he decided to stray off of that topic this week and get into something that got a whole lot of attention, and that was his career versus Darrell Revis's career. Darrell Revis, as we know, is a Hall of Famer. He's widely regarded by this current generation. Let me not even say this current generation, the generation right before this one and this current generation as the best um, cornerback of their time, right? So we're not including the older heads like myself who uh, come from the Deion Sanders era. It's from the guys that have just maybe never seen Deion or saw Deion at the way tail end of his career, but have been able to watch the whole career of Darrell Rivas. He's widely regarded as the best man of that era, somewhere in there Asante Samuel has gotten lost because the big talk is really Darrell Revis, and then if not Revis, then Richard Sherman. If not Richard Sherman then they will talk about maybe Champ Bailey who was kind of working his way out. During that time you just don't hear people talking a whole lot about Asante Samuel and so he has a real axe to grind about that. Both that about His name not really being mentioned in some of the greats. I mean, folks will mention Ty Law, really, before they mention Asante Samuel. And again, we'll dig into what Asante Samuel actually did with his career. If you're not familiar with him, we will definitely get into that into uh, in, in this podcast today. But um, his big axe of grind with Darrell Revis is that he didn't think Rivas statistically put up Hall of Fame-type numbers. Certainly not the kind of numbers that he felt like he put up. And so, why is Darrell Revis in the, Pro, in the Hall of Fame and he's not? And just talking about those two weren't enough, he moved that argument from him versus Darrell Revis to what's going on currently, and as many of you have seen, since the season's been over, there's been a ton of praise heaped upon Sauce Gardner, who is a New York Jet, much like Darrell Revis was a New York Jet, and Asante Samuels assertion and argument is that when you are in that New York media, you are given an extra boost because you play for the Jets or you play for the Giants and so you get boosted. Perhaps there is, let me not even say perhaps that is that, that is a fact, okay? Uh, the New York media is big. Um, and when a guy plays well for them, they push him. That's what's going on with Sauce. But remember what I said, when a guy plays well for them. And Sauce Gardner played well last year. Okay? He obviously got all the accolades for it. Uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year and so on and so forth. Uh, all, all, you know, Pro Bowl, all that good stuff, got all those accolades. Of course, for Asante Samuel, looking at a guy who only had one interception last year, he just can't take that. Asante Samuel is big on turnovers and ball production. That's a big thing for him. He had a lot of interceptions in his career. He feels like that is a big part of being a great cornerback is turning that ball over, not only turning it over, but taking that ball and scoring with it. Two things he did really well in his career. And so his argument was he feels like Tyreek Willen was a better cornerback than Sauce Gardner last year. Tyreek Willen had four interceptions. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head how many pass breakups he had, but I'm sure he was in the double figures there. And Um, Had a pick six to go with it. These were, you know, those were things that uh, Sauce Gardner did not do. And so that really bothers Asante Samuel because I think he sees in in that situation what happened with Tyreek Willen versus Asante Samuel, I mean, versus Sauce Gardner in terms of. Um, recognition last year is kind of what happened with him in his career. You know, for a good part of his career, he saw Darrell Rivas getting all the love and he felt like he deserved more, you know, love than he got. And I'm sorry, on Tyreek Woolen, I, you know, I misquoted. He had six interceptions last year to go with 16 passes defensed. And now I would say to you, Sante Samuel you either love or you either love Asante Samuel or you hate him all right it's it, and it kind of goes with what's happened to you in your life as to whether or not you love the guy or hate the guy. whether you love him or hate him, I think he's making a good point here. We've got one guy, one who's in Seattle in the West coast with all of the uh, 4 p.m Eastern time starts and not a whole lot of primetime stuff even though they had a good time a good game last I mean a good season last year. Um, here's a guy with six interceptions, 16 passes defensed. And the other guy that got all the accolades, defensive rookie of the year, had one interception and 20 pass breakups. Like, which one of those guys are you taking? Quite frankly, quite frankly, I'm running with the guy that had the six interceptions and the 16 passes defensed. And, oh, by the way, Seattle was a playoff team last year. We cannot say that about the New York Jets. So, in this particular case, I would have to side with Asante Samuel on that. I thought the best rookie cornerback season last year did go to a Tyreek Woolen, But, he plays for the Seattle Seahawks, and the New York Jets had a guy named Sauce. Those are really two good things to go together. All right. There's the New York Jets. You're playing in New York, and you've got the name Sauce. And on top of that, Sauce has, you know, a little bit of flavor to his, um, to his personality. I think Tyreek's more of a keep it, you know, to himself type of guy. And you know what we all have to realize right now is that this is a billion-dollar game, and it's not just because of the play on the field. There's an entertainment. element to the game of football and sometimes you know people just fail to realize that we want to just look at at what the actual playing of the football but with ticket prices being what they are there's a you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't realize that there was a entertainment element to this on top of that with social media and all these outlets out here and the blogs and um, you know, everyone going, having a social media presence, they need content, and when you provide content for them, they tend to love up on you, right? They tend to love up on you because they need the likes, the views, the shares, all of that good stuff, and that plays a part in the game. Hate to say it, we don't like it if you're a football purist, but that is the truth. But here's also the truth. Six interceptions, 16 passes defensed, versus one interception and 20 passes defensed, there's no defense of that. For going strictly by the football that was played on the field, Tyreek Woolen should have had all those accolades that Sauce Gardner did. they should be they should have you know um, really switched places in terms of accolades. And I will say this, I am, I'm totally out on award shows, accolades, all that good stuff. I'm just so off of that whether it's music, uh, the Academy Awards, uh, any type of football awards at the end of the year. I don't watch the Heisman Trophy um, presentation anymore. I'm out on all of it. It bores me to death, number one. Number two, there has been more and more politics put into that stuff at in every genre. Music, movies, sports. There's just so much politics in it that I just can't even take a lot of what happens there seriously. The Thorpe Award is a joke. Every year, And I used to live and die for that growing up. Wanted to see who got the Thorpe Award. Because I felt like back then it truly went to the guy that was playing the best. Now it's turned into something else. And there have been a number of them um, over the last few years that have been a joke. I'm just not going to sit down there and watch it. I don't do any of the award shows. Just... Totally bores me to death, and I don't want to see all of the politics. When you've got guys like Kanye West having to get up on stage and grandstand because he's just over it, and he's not the only one that's pissed, just Kanye's crazy enough to go up there and grab a mic and say something about it, I'm fully out on that. But so far as this is concerned, that's what Asante Samuel was up to. So if you were kind of halfway paying attention, uh, I think Asante Samuel dragged Sauce Gardner into this and mentioned... Tyreek Woolen in this whole thing because it just speaks to the little bit of beef that he has about um, what's go- what happened with his career versus Darrell Rivas' career. And of course, Sauce Gardner jumped fully in and did the whole back and forth with Asante Samuel. Now, Asante Samuel's going to go all day. He's not going to stop. Doesn't look like Sauce wants to either, so we've got a full-on back and forth, and all of this led to a kumbaya attempt by Philadelphia Eagles cornerback Darius Slay, who would love to know why cornerbacks can't get along. Now he didn't just come out with this, since you know this has been a hot issue, you know that Asante Samuel started up. He did see a pass rush retreat that was uh, done by a bunch of defensive linemen, and he made comment on it earlier this year, is why can't the defensive back do this? And you know what? It's just a really big... They're different personalities. And I've mentioned this to Slay, and we've talked about it, is that, you know, those defensive linemen are big teddy bears. Those guys can get along. When it comes to defensive back, man, they're highly charged. All of these guys could kind of be wide receivers. It's just the personalities and... These guys, um, these defensive backs, they're more like cats. They're going to get a little pissy. And there's a big fight there for who's number one. I just saw something on ESPN today. They mentioned the top cornerbacks in the league. And it's been kind of consistent, the kind of names they've had at the top. It's Pat Sertan, a guy that I've coached in high school and continue to work with. They mentioned him as number one. They also mentioned Jalen Ramsey. Um, he's a guy that's going to be hotly debated because, you know, he makes plays, but then there's times where he gets beat, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Ramsey's also on top of his play. He's also entertaining. He's a guy that grabs eyeballs and gives media content. He's going to be on that list. Of course, the aforementioned Sauce gardeners is on it. Jair Alexander, who's gotten into the whole providing content as well. He had a couple of uh, things go on last year that were entertaining that the media jumped on, uh, especially his battle with Stefan Diggs where they had a whole pre-game thing going on. And then there was some talk after a game. And then he provided a couple of great sound bites after the Miami Dolphins game. So he's getting the whole entertainment part of it. And then Darius Slay, who's always been a really big personality. And he had a really good season. I'll tell you what, Darius Slay has been a really good football player, a damn good cornerback for quite some time. You didn't hear much mentioned. You didn't get his name put into the list, list like this when he was a Detroit Lion. And that's because he was in Detroit. Now he's in Philadelphia playing in Super Bowls and playing for a little for a... A football team that has a little more recognition, that's a little more recognized, and now everyone suddenly realizes the greatness that is Darius Slay. He's always had great feet, always been good in press, always been good in one-on-one situations, but now he gets recognized because he's with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm saying that to say this, a lot of what goes on here in terms of coverage, press, recognition has a lot to do with what you play. And So I bring that back to what Asante Samuel is saying. And that is, um, I hate to say it, but that is true. And that is backed up by the fact that um, there are some numbers there to um, suggest that Asante Samuel has a point when he's talking about his career versus uh, Darrell Rivas. If we just want to just talk about the numbers involved, you know, there is something to be said there about their careers. And in terms of numbers, what one guy did versus what another guy did. Now, listen, if any of you have studied Darrell Rivas' career, you know that he was not a big turnover guy. A guy didn't pile up interceptions in his career. It's just not. That was just not a part of what he did. But let's take a look at the numbers. Overall games, Asante Samuel played... 157 to Darrell Revis's 145. Interceptions. There's a wide gap between these two guys. And, you know, Sante Samuels makes sure to let everyone know that. Sante Samuel, 51 interceptions to Darrell Revis's 29 interceptions. I'm not sure that many of you out there realize that there was such a big gap between these two in terms of interceptions. That's 22 more interceptions in his career. And Asante Samuel only played 13 more games than Darrell Revis. How about pick sixes? We love pick sixes, right? We're all, we're all defenders here. We're all secondary guys. How about pick sixes? In terms of pick sixes, Asante Samuel, six interception return touchdowns in his career to Darrell Revis's three. Other things that matter um, for a cornerback, maybe some forced fumbles. Asante Samuel, seven of those to Darrell Rivas' four. And then for some odd reason, Darrell Rivas recovered a heck of a lot more fumbles. Twelve to Asante Samuel's three. Not really a big stat for cornerbacks. In terms of championships, Asante Samuel was able to uh, play for two Super Bowl championship teams. Darrell Rivas for one. Both of them for the Patriots. See, you know, the road to the championships during the time that they were playing had it had to go through New England anyway. All right, Pro Bowls, 7 for Rivas, 4 for Asante Samuel. Again, I'll go back to my statement in terms of awards and handing out of things. That number should not be that far apart. Then All-Pro, uh, Darrell Rivas, 4 versus Asante Samuel, two. The only where I take issue with Asante Samuel is Hey, listen, man. You definitely had a uh, you had a Pro Bowl type career. Uh, you had a Hall of Fame type career. That doesn't mean Dorial Rivas' career was not a Hall of Fame career. It definitely was a Hall of Fame career. So you don't have to tear down Darrell Revis. You don't have to be mad at Darrell Revis because he played in New York. He had really no control over that. That's who drafted him. Things went well there. He stayed there. He did his time there. And it was so great he came back to New York City. They showed love. He played well there. You can't be mad at Darrell Revis for that. And on top of that, he had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. If you look at the Titans that he went up against and held in check in his career, there hasn't really been a whole lot of anything like that in the NFL in its history. He truly was a shutdown corner. He would really limit people. And now another thing I do want to get to, before you know, I am disagreeing with Asante Samuel, but in the area of pass defense, because I know that's something that people really like to go to. Darrell Rivas' best year was 2009, where he had an amazing 31 passes defense. That's a that's a crazy number. It might be the most since they started keeping that stat, and they, always, and they haven't always. However, I would point out that in 2006, Asante Samuel had a season in which he had 24 passes defense. That was the same season in which he had 10 interceptions for 120 yards. Sante Samuel had two years in which he had 20-plus pass breakups. Daryl Rivas had two years in which he had 20-plus passes defensed. Sante Samuels had, let's see here, three, six, nine seasons in which he had double-digit passes defensed. Daryl Rivas had seven such seasons. So in every meaningful stat... Asante Samuel um, is right there with Darrell Rivas or has passed him, especially in the area of interception. So Asante Samuel is a Hall of Fame football player. He is right now not doing anything to help himself by what he says uh, on social media, by going after Bill Belichick. I just don't think that's going to help him. I'm not sure what his aim is at this point. You're not going to bully your way into... the hall of fame maybe you can shame the hall of fame maybe that'll work i don't know i think that's the route he's going he's very much the south florida guy okay asante samuel is a proud kind of guy went to boyd anderson and you know if you've been down in south florida and spent any amount of time down here you know guys like that aren't shutting up you aren't getting them to shut up they're going to go hard and asante samuel's going to do that no one's going to quiet him down so that continues Sliding over uh, to another note, man, it is really time for the Hall of Fame to really think about what they're doing there, okay? Because there are some really big inconsistencies with some of these guys. I'm going to give you guys some numbers. And you guys can tell me how you feel about this. I've got player A. I've got player B, all right? Both of these guys were safeties. In the NFL. Player A played in 224 games. Player B played in 178 games. Player A had 26 interceptions in his career. Player B, 23 interceptions in his career. Player A had zero interceptions for touchdowns in his career. Player B, two interceptions for touchdowns in his career. Player A Had 13 sacks. And once again, I would like to remind you, he played in 46 more games. He had 13 sacks. Player B had 11 sacks in his career. Player A forced 16 fumbles in his career. Player B forced 12 in his career. Fumble recoveries. Player A had nine. Player B, who once again played in 46 less games, all right, that's basically three seasons less, had 11 fumble recoveries. Championships, player A, one, one ring. Player B, three championships. Player A was in nine Pro Bowls. Again, I don't even know about that anymore. Uh, Player B, five Pro Bowls. Player A, four All-Pros. Player B, three Pro Bowls. Player A, guys, is in the Hall of Fame. Player B is not in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, player B is also eligible. That's why I bring this up. And who are these guys? Player A is John Lynch. Played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had a really magical season one year and won a Super Bowl. And John Lynch is a Hall of Fame player. He's a Hall of Fame player. um, And I'm not going to take that away from him. I don't feel like you need to make the argument of tearing down another guy to try and make a case for another guy being in the Hall of Fame. Where I do take issue is that player B, who is Darren Woodson of the Dallas Cowboys, who kind of revolutionized to a certain degree the safety position to kind of what you see it today, where safeties really get down there and cover guys in the slot, is not in the Hall of Fame. And I find it to be a travesty. Again, guys, 46 less games, 3 less seasons, and every meaningful stat for the position, he is equal or better than John Lynch, who was readily put into the Hall of Fame. So the folks in the Hall of Fame have really got to get their heads together and figure out what is the criteria, and you know, let's be a little more transparent in how we go about doing these things. So the same way... Uh, Darren Woodson is, you know, for lack of a better term, getting dumped on here is the same way Asante Samuel is getting dumped on and you could say "Oh, I don't like Asante Samuel I don't like his personality he talks too much he's too braggadocious he's too eager to criticize um I you know he didn't do himself any favors in going after a young player that's playing now that's trying to come up in the game he's not doing himself any favors going after Bill Belichick who you know is still the godfather of pro football right now given the fact that um he's won so many Super Bowls and been involved in so many Super Bowls it's not just the Super Bowls that he won as the head coach for the um uh, you know New England. Patriots. He was involved in, he was a defensive coordinator for two other such Super Bowl victories. I mean, he's got eight rings. So he's the godfather. And so Asante Samuel going after him on a consistent basis doesn't do any favors. That has nothing to do with anything when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Should not even be a part of the process. Asante Samuel is a Hall of Fame football player. And so I have two wishes. I wish he would stop essentially tearing down other players to make his case, would be, I wish the Hall of Fame would get together and realize they made this mistake and don't allow it to continue. Let's not be stubborn now and just be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not. we're not going to do it now. Now that he's talking crazy, we're not going to right or wrong. Fix that, Hall of Fame. You guys have got to fix that. All right. And so that's the lowdown on that. If you've been kind of halfway paying attention on it, uh, we're doing it's the offseason It's clearly offseason. We're in July. They're running out of content. And so we keep getting these things over and over about who's the best. There's always this race to, to, to find out who's the best and say who's the best and this and that and the third. When it comes to cornerbacks in this league right now, you're going to have a hard time making that case. There are a lot of guys that are playing very well. Obviously, Pat Sertan has this really established himself in this league rather early. But outside of the guys that I named earlier, when you make these lists up and it goes from either 6 or to 10, you're leaving a lot of really good guys out of it. I'm yet to see Trayvon Diggs really on some of these lists. And what he's done over the last couple of years has been phenomenal. 11 interceptions? You got to be some kind of good to do that. Let's, for- let's not forget about my guy Xavier Howard. He had a 10-interception season, a 7-interception season, an 8-interception season. What are the reasons for leaving that guy off? A.J. Terrell has been really good the last couple of seasons. Tyson Campbell really put a season together, and he's really coming into his own. So if you're mentioning young cornerbacks and he's not on the list, why? Is it because he plays for Jacksonville? Then you've got Asante Samuel's son. Did we not forget his three-interceptions performance? In a playoff game against Jacksonville, he's some kind of good. So when you're mentioning young cornerbacks in this league, how would he not be put on the list? I might sound biased on this last one, but Marco Wilson, the Arizona Cardinals, not mentioned at all. Why? Because, oh, PFF has stats, which, by the way, I'm, you know, I probably needed to devote a whole show to PFF. I'm not even going to launch into that and bore you to death. But ten pass breakups, double-digit pass breakups, three interceptions, two against the goat Tom Brady on Christmas Day in prime time. Then a pick six, and let's not forget about the the, the front flip meme right behind uh, Andy Dalton. That's a whole season right there for a second-year player. How you not mention his name, as guys as a young corner? That's one of the top guys in terms of in that category in this league. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably forgetting some names out here, but I'm just throwing a couple of those out there. There are a lot of young cornerbacks playing well in this game right now that you really can't go about making a top 10 list, a top 20 list, or saying, you know, this guy is the best. Really boils down to what guys value. Do you value ball production, interceptions, and pass breakups and stuff like that, or do you just value a guy who can cover someone down and that receiver doesn't get a whole lot that day? There's a lot of preference going on here. But I get it. It's the off season. You guys need something to talk about. God, it just reminds me. We need to get to the actual playing of the games, and we're a month away. But for now, we got to go through all this stuff. I really hope the whole bickering back and forth between the uh, cornerbacks ends. I hope that dies, right? And I know Asante Samuel's going to keep this going for as long as he can. I would hope Sauce would just stop. Commenting, Sauce, get focused on your season, man. They're coming for you. You've been getting a lot of off-season praise. They are coming for your head, brother. I hope you are ready, and that you're not really, you know, drinking the sauce too much. Because I've seen guys have really good rookie seasons, and then that sophomores jinx, you know, it can show up. So I hope he's ready for it, and you don't you don't have time to be fighting back and forth with a guy who's already done his thing in this league. Fifty one interceptions and has certainly put together a Hall of Fame resume so I hope all of that ends and ends very soon all right let's get into the mailbag I encourage you guys to reach out to me each and every week with your questions I'm figuring I guess the best way for you guys to do that is to send me an email cwilson at com. easiest way to go about doing that However, if you follow me on any of the social media networks, whether that's Twitter, and I gave the address out earlier, but, um, or Instagram, at alleyesdbcamp, and and if you're following me on Twitter, dbtips101, you can inbox me there, your question, alright, whether that's anything about play, scheme, technique, etc., etc., you guys can reach out to me there, um, and I'll pick a question or two to answer, in the mailbag segment of this podcast each and every week. This week, I've got Greg in Oklahoma asking me a question. And this is a this is a really good one. I like this question. Uh, Greg says, I've been using bail technique with my corners on defense. And one of the big problems I'm running into is wide receivers getting into my cornerback's blind spot and causing big plays. Either the receiver runs a deep comeback for a completion or they flat out run a go ball and get behind my corners because they can't see them. What can I do to prevent this from happening? All right, as best as I can on a podcast which all we have is audio here and I'm you know, I can't give you some kind of a visual example is I will say this what I see a lot with bail technique especially at the high school level is a lot of guys will have their cornerbacks in a press situation using bail either the guy is head up cornerback is head up or he's lightly shaded outside and at the time of bailing the guy bails and goes straight back. So what ends up happening is that receiver can come off and within one or two strides he is even. He's directly in front of your cornerback and then he can attack his back rather easily. He doesn't have to go much off of his course to get to your guy's back and be in his blind spot, and then he can literally do anything he wants from back there. He can run the comeback, like you said, he can take off on that goal ball, or he can even stop, plant, and come back and curl right there. You know, I'm not sure what, guy, you know, what coverages guys are using to run bail. I will say this if you're out there using bail as a man to man technique, and when I say man to man, I'm talking like Meg which is man everywhere he goes, if you're using it in that situation, that is a poor way to be using bail technique. If you have cornerbacks that are responsible for that receiver wherever he goes on the field and you're telling them to bail you, that's malpractice. Because virtually everything on the inside of the tree, all of the even numbers are going to be easy completions. And for them to not be easy completions, your cornerback has to be especially worried about it, which now opens up everything on the outside part of the tree. So slants are easy, curls become easy, digs become easy if that guy's bailing out at the snap. So if you're doing that right now, I'm going to urge you to stop doing that. If you want to use it in some kind of a fire zone, or zone blitz, Or cover three where you want to give the impression of it being man or cover one and you take off out of there and your guy has, you know, a deep third. Or a situation even where he's bailing and he's reading number two and then, you know, what he does versus number one is based on what number two does. Fine. But if you're using it to cover a guy all over the field, terrible. Stop that right now. If you're a DC, fix that. If you're a DB coach, have a conversation with your defensive coordinator and encourage encourage him to perhaps change that all right i'm always you know i will say to my defensive back coaches out there you're not the defensive coordinator so don't go in there and undermand your coordinator don't go in there and make some demands. You're not that guy. You don't have that responsibility. You don't watch all the film. You've not been given that responsibility. Do your job, and so your job is to make that defensive coordinator's job easier. Something maybe I'll touch on down the road. You know, I may have a, I may have a, a podcast strictly for coaches. All right. So getting back to the matter at hand, let's fix this for Greg in Oklahoma. Greg, here's what I will tell you: the best way you can go about fixing that. And I do actually have a video of this on my YouTube channel. So if you go to my YouTube channel, at Gridiron Studs, so YouTube.com forward slash Gridiron Studs. I do have a video on there so you get a a visual example of what I'm talking about. I do have a video on bale technique. You have your corners. First of all, you don't want them heads up. All right, avoid that if you can. And you want them outside shade, okay? You could have them head up. But I prefer an outside shape. And what you're going to do is have your guys on their bail technique. They take one slide step outside, moving them almost a full man outside of that receiver. All right, this is before the ball is snapped, right before the ball is snapped, because I know you don't wanna, you don't want them leaving early. Take a full slide step outside, and then open and run. What does that do for your cornerbacks? It's going to help them tremendously, just that little thing. What it's going to do for them is put them outside of that wide receiver. And now that wide receiver, if he wants to go and attack your cornerbacks back, he's going to have to take an unusual route to get there. He's literally going to have to kind of turn himself to the sidelines and run towards the sidelines to attack that cornerback's back. It's not something he's really going to want to do. Furthermore, if that's the course he takes, your cornerback's going to be outside of him. So in his peripheral vision or even just off of feel, he is going to feel that guy taking that odd course to get to his back. And now he's going to be able to slightly widen and cause that receiver to have to go even further further towards the sidelines to get there. And then he can squeeze him into that sideline because now he's choking him into that small space between himself and the sidelines. This is going to do two things. It's going to cause that receiver to go into a tiny spot, number one. Number two, it's going to make your cornerback more comfortable about where number one is. Because here's another thing that happens when that receiver gets into your cornerback's blind spot. It forces him to Overly divide his attention between reading number two or the quarterback and what's going on with number one. The moment number one, that outside wide receiver, gets into his blind spot, his mind gets blown a little bit. He, he can't really pay attention to his read when that happens. So he can either make put his total focus on what number two is doing or what the quarterback's doing if that's his read, and then he'll totally forget about that number one wide receiver that's it behind his back, or he's devoting a little bit too much of his attention and his brain power on where is number one in my blind spot, and so he doesn't really get an efficient read off of number two or three or whatever it is you have him reading, and now... Um, He's going to be slow on that read. He's going to be slow on reading that quarterback. So he becomes totally inefficient once that guy gets into his blind spot. So, Greg, have your guys take a slide step outside so they're a full man outside. They can do this even if it's something where you want them, if you have them punch in the shoulder. They can still slide outside, uh, and as soon as that receiver moves, punch the shoulder, but they're outside of them. And it's going to make them feel more comfortable. They'll be able to feel and see number one while reading number two, number three, or the quarterback, whatever it is you have them reading. And it makes it really hard for that receiver to get into their blind spot. And you can teach your guys as they go down the field, if that receiver is trying to get into their blind spot, they can widen and squeeze into the sideline and still keep their read. All right, Greg, um, if you need further explanation on that um, or you're having any kind of trouble finding the video that I have on bailing, on my YouTube channel, feel free to reach out to me cwilson Wilson at all eyesdbcamp.com again cwilson at all eyesdbcamp.com and for the rest of you out there that have questions about um, playing or coaching defensive backs, you can use that same email and send it to me um, if I don't use your question on my podcast. I'll answer it you know I'll, I'll send you back a response via email or or inbox or however you guys decide to reach me. All right, Greg in Oklahoma, appreciate you being a listener and for sending that question in. All right, let's get into the main topic at hand, and that is the mental side of playing press man coverage. And as I said in the opening, there's a lot of focus in training for press on, you know, what your feet are doing, what your eyes are doing, what your hands are doing, you know, getting strong enough, getting fast enough, uh, to play press man and of course you need those physical elements to be successful but there's also a bigger element involved there and that is a mental element all right there is a mental element to playing defensive back and there is uh, a serious mental element in playing press because it's highly pressurized and I found that the guys that really succeed and, ex- and uh, do really good things in press have a good mental approach so I'm going to talk to you guys About that part of it today. As that's our main topic here. I really break it down to five key things. Guys should have mentally. If they're going to be really good in press. And. um, Number one on that is spatial awareness. And route recognition. You got to have some route recognition. And kind of understand where you are on the field. To be a successful press man corner. When you start getting stemmed. And leaned on. Or certain. You know, moves are made at the line of scrimmage. you got to have an IQ when it comes to that. A great pressman cornerback possesses a high football IQ and spa- spatial awareness. Now, the common fan out there thinks, oh, all these guys that are good at press, or they're just really, you know, they're twitchy. They're really quick guys or they're really fast guys, and they tend to just focus on the physical part of what they're seeing. But the mental part of it is this. The really good pressman corner guys have a good football IQ. They can anticipate route combinations, they can, re- they can read receivers' intentions, and then they react accordingly. Being able to recognize route concepts and understand the, re- uh, the receiver's tendencies, cornerbacks um, are able to position themselves. They can do this strategically, and they can disrupt passing lanes. They just have a, an uncanny way of doing that. One big example of that is now on a fade route. When you have an understanding of how much room the wide receiver has to work with, it gives the intelligent defensive back a clue as to which way he should look for the ball. How many times have we seen a guy look the wrong way for the ball? You're looking inside and you get back-shouldered. Or you look inside and you're not understanding that this is actually a goal ball. It's not a back-shoulder, and now you get beat on that deep ball. It's an awareness that a guy has. Should that DB look through the receiver for the ball or look inside to locate it? You've got to have spatial awareness and route recognition. All right, that's number one. Number two is what, you know, I would consider perhaps the biggest one. you got to have confidence and mental toughness. Hey, I'm here to tell you, if you don't know this already, if you're new to coaching defensive backs or you're new to playing defensive back, if you don't have confidence and mental toughness, you're just not going to be a really good press man corner. You're probably not going to be a good corner or DB anyway, but you're definitely not going to be a good press man corner if you lack confidence and mental toughness. Press man coverage can be physically demanding. It's mentally challenging. A great press man cornerback possesses confidence in their abilities and their mental toughness, and it keeps their composure when they're facing top-tier receivers. You can't go geeking out because you're facing a number one guy and you watch them on film just killing everybody. Well, you killed everyone up to this point. Today you are facing me. All that is over with. Good Press Man Corners trust their technique, physicality, and instincts. It allows them to thrive in one-on-one matchups. They embrace the challenge. They want that. They want the ball thrown their way. They want to shadow the number one guy. They want to be on his hip the whole game and completely shut him down. The mental toughness shouldn't waver when you get beat because if you're going against a good wide receiver and you're trying to shadow and you're going up against some great guys, great guys will make plays. It's going to happen. None of your confidence should waver when a ball is caught on you or a couple of balls are caught on you even. A good press man, defensive back, realized that they're not going to win every rep. And their level of confidence should not rise and fall with the success of each rep. The most important play after the one you just finished is the next one, whether the ball was caught or you made a play on it. You got to remain confident after each play, no matter what the outcome is. If you put in the required amount of time in studying, it's only a matter of time before you make a big play when the offense is attacking you. So if they went out there and got caught a couple balls on you, hey, hooray, you know what that means? They think they have a chance over there and they're going to come again. And now you're going to have an opportunity to make the play. That is, if you have the confidence that you will make the next play. So, what happened on the last play has got nothing to do with the next play. Good or bad. Next thing is film study and preparation. The best pressman cornerbacks understand the importance of film study and preparation. They analyze the opponent's tendencies, the route combinations, and release techniques. Don't get fooled into thinking, hey, the top player uh, that's out there, whether he's on my team or he's uh, you know, uh, in my league or whatever, don't go looking like fans and say, oh, that's all just because he's physical. Man, don't get fooled. A lot of those dudes do stuff secretly. They watch films secretly, and that is the secret to their success. They may not put it out there. They may not let everyone know how much film they watch. Some guys will let you know a lot of and then there's some guys that will do stuff in secret. And yeah, they may be strong and fast. That stuff only matters if you know what to do. So get your film study in. Good press man corners, believe it or not, also effectively communicate with their teammates. They ensure proper coverage, assignments, adjustments, and pre-snap alignments. Make sure that if you have help on a play, that help is there available, and that you and that safety or whoever you're comboing with, or whoever is supposed to be in an area to help you, sees the same thing, and that they are actually there. Some defensive backs get the idea that the moment, man coverage is called, they are on their own. Nick, like, I appreciate the island mentality. I get it. I, you know, Revis Island. I get that whole deal. Don't get fooled. Darrell Revis had help. At times, maybe more than people realized, and he knew where it was, and that allowed him to play well to his coverage and his leverage and squeeze the quarterback into making a mistake. So, there have been times where Darrell Revis was in two-man and it allowed him to sit low on a guy and undercut routes or cover one and he could, you know, undercut a route going to the middle of the field because there was a post safety there. A guy that's uh, an okay press guy doesn't know, he heard man coverage and so he thinks he's got a guy all over the field and there's no help anywhere and I'm out here all by myself. That is not the case. Good press man corner guys know where their help is and that allows them to be heavy on some routes and not so heavy on other routes and make the plays when they come their way. The fools go trying to cover everything when they don't have to. Another part of it is communication and collaboration which I just touched on. While press man coverage is primarily an individual task, great cornerbacks excel at communication and collaboration within the secondary. They talk to their safeties, both before the game, pre-snap, after the snap, during the game, communicate. you got to open your mouth and talk. You can't be a mute out there. They effectively communicate with their teammates. They ensure proper coverage assignments, adjustments, pre-snap alignments, all that good stuff. Football is a team game even when man coverage is called. Even when the coverage dictates that there's no help from another member of the secondary, the help comes from an intense pass rush. When your coach calls cover zero and maybe you get a little feeling in your stomach because, oh, I'm all by myself, you're not. When they call cover zero, that means they're sending a bunch of guys at that quarterback. That means that ball has to come out quick. You shouldn't be in coverage as long. And then you also have the sidelines As a help, know that and use that. There's also the back line of the end zone if you're in a red zone, which is where a lot of zero coverage gets called. And I see a lot of guys forget that they have that as a safety, as another defender, and they don't play right. Use your leverage. You can get up under routes in the red zone because they're going to run out of room if they try to go any deeper than that. They can't run out the back of the end zone and get a completion for a touchdown. That is an actual safety. It's not a safety with a helmet on and a number on his back, but it is a safety. There's a limit there. So know know where your help's coming from. Is it a pass rush? Is it a sideline? Is it the back line? Use that. Good press man cornerbacks know that. Then the final component mentally that you need to have is a competitive mindset and resilience. And that kind of goes with the mental toughness, but there's a little bit of a difference there. Great press man cornerbacks possess a competitive mindset, and they have an unyielding resilience. They embrace the challenge of facing top receivers. They thrive in one-on-one matchups. They bounce back from setbacks. Their unwavering determination allows them to maintain focus and intensity throughout the game, consistently disrupting pass plays. They're kind of like, they, they almost like have a mental disease where they just forget all the bad stuff that's happened in the game. You can't dwell on it. There's a scene in the famous movie Training Day where the main character played by Denzel Washington uh, rolls down the window as they're rolling through the city of Los Angeles and he's got like a guy that he's training and he says, you got to smell it in the streets. You got to love it. And that's what it has to be for you as a press man, lockdown corner. You got to love it. You got to smell it. You got to want these situations. The point is you have to love the challenge of getting up in that wide receiver's face and eliminating from the team's game plan. He gets eight, nine catches a game. Today, you got one, two, maybe zero. You ain't getting nothing over here. If you have a genuine love for something, you will do whatever you have to do to succeed at it so you can keep doing it. So, if you know, having a shadow or be lining up in front of the top guy makes you feel anything less than like, let's go. I, you need to change that right now or change your position. Change that mentality or change your position. You've got to love it. Like Denzel said, you got to love it. you got to smell it in the streets. you got to want it. You'd almost be upset when you're playing a team that doesn't have a top guy. Because, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get much action today. you got to love it. Trick yourself into loving it if you're not currently there. Trick yourself into that. You love this. Learn to love the challenge of that matchup one-on-one. All right? Those are the key elements that press man, corner guys got to have. If you're lacking in any of those, you have to go about fixing that ASAP. The season is right around the corner. Coaches out there, try to try to notice those elements in your guys. If you're trying to be a strictly press man team and you don't have guys that have that kind of mindset, I'm here to tell you, man, you're probably you're going to be in for a long season. You may want to consider making some adjustments to your defense. You might want to play off more. You might want to play a little more zone. Maybe that's where your guys are more comfortable. But if you've got some dogs, if you've got some guys that relish that, then you know what? You want to feed that dog a little bit more than maybe you were thinking you were going to going into this season. Because those guys who love to get up in those wide receivers' face, they can make it absolute hell on an offense, especially if you're coaching at the high school level. And you got a bunch of dogs that want to do this kind of stuff. They love it. They will study it. They will be prepared for the games because they just love doing that. And you can, you can see some serious strides made defensively. You could, you could actually become locked down. All right, that's going to wrap things up for the show, man. Once again, I appreciate all of you guys stopping in and listening to the show. Um, I love the... You know, the love that I've been getting, the feedback I've been getting on the podcast, and obviously the numbers have been great. Um, you know, as I said, maybe a couple of shows earlier uh, this has exceeded what I thought it would be here in the early going a lot of listeners I guess we were hungry for a DB podcast like this one so I appreciate it Um, you guys that have been listening religiously and if you are first time here and you enjoyed this man spread the love you know go ahead and share this um, in your social media tell your coaching friends about it if you're a player tell your 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 other defensive back buddies about it Um, let them Let's all share in the knowledge here and get this thing spread around. I really really appreciate it. Before I leave out, you guys heard the um ad leading up into this thing. You know, I always got to hawk my wares, but if you're new, um, if you're old in the game, if you've been playing for a while, it doesn't matter what it is, I have created the ultimate DB reference guide. It's 101 DB tips, the ebook that um, I've been getting a tremendous amount of great feedback on. Another thing I'm really really happy about If you're playing this position, coaching this position, training this position, you got to own that, right? You got to own it. Go to 101dbtips.com, pick up your copy, and keep it right there close to you. You're going to need it right now in this preseason. You're going to need it in the season um, as it comes up. It's a reference guide, so you can go to it in season, out of season. You got to have this thing in your stable you ain't real as a defensive back if you ain't getting this thing down. And then also, I do have my All Eyes DB Camp members area. Over 200-plus videos in there on technique, coverage, tips. Uh, explain coverages in there. Go over some scheme. Uh, break down some guys' technique. A lot of great stuff in there. You can check that out. Uh, go to alleyesdbcamp.com. Hit the sign-up button in the upper right-hand corner, and uh, you will get more information on that right there. It's, it's a worthy investment and guys love it and it i've i love to see guys come to me and talk to me about the success that they have had out there on the field both coaching and playing and um they give a lot of that to what they've been able to pick up and learn in that members area so two really really great things there that you need to have as a defensive back coach or trainer hope you guys uh join in and uh, make that investment and jump in on that all right all right enough of that enough of me Um, With the flea market, I appreciate you guys being here. And uh, until next time, all eyes, DB Camp, consistency, breeds, results.